Are you ready, kids? Get your parents' permission, check your mailbox, and grab your shopping cart. It's time for the Adventures in Collecting podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Dave. Welcome Welcome to to Adventures Adventures in Collecting, Collecting, where we talk toy news, culture, and hauls, along with our journeys as collectors. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Adventures in Collecting. Hi. Dave. Hi. <laughs> Greg. Hi. <laughs> we we are back, Dave. I love it. Yeah, and, we and, are. And you know what, Greg uh, already already let the cat out of the bag, and we're not going to bury the lead. We are not alone. No, we, we are, are not alone. alone. Um, joining us today. Uh, well, first of all, uh, to to give a little primer. Uh, we, you know that in the past, if you have listened to the show, we've had quite a few folks on from from Jazzwares, you know, ranging on, uh, ranging from Jeremy Pidauer to Mike DeCamp to uh, Aaron and Scott on the Pokemon team, uh, Magic. to to Magic, uh, working on the AEW figures, uh, to Enrique, uh, another another Fortnite person. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna continue that trend by uh, growing our uh, we're, we're we're collecting. Jazzwares luminaries. Let's put it that way. So, um, <laughs> as you know, Jazzwares continues to produce some of the most hotly collected products out there, from Pokemon, Halo, Fortnite, Micro Machines, and the Toy of the Year award-winning Squishmallows, uh, to of course AEW wrestling figures. Um, and with that, they claim a lot of people's display and uh, and and collection real estate, right? So. Uh, joining us on the pod to talk more about the world of AEW following their recent deluge of announcements uh, is Jazzwares Vice President of Global Brand and Strategy, Greg Mitchell. Greg, welcome to the show. Hello again for the second time, <laughs> but for the first time. It's it's uh, it's it's a pleasure to have you uh, uh, join us. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, an esteemed lineage of other Jazzwares brethren uh, have graced these uh, podcast airwaves, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Well, before we we jump into uh, to all the things that are going on at Jazzwares and and all the fun announcements, um, the first thing that we like to ask all of our guests before we get started, as this is a show about collecting, uh, what are you currently collecting? What do I collect? Funny you should ask. I could say I collect lots of action figures, but it would kind of be a cheat, right? Because I essentially acquire them for work, right? We do competitive samples, competitive studies. We're all, you know, the whole team is geeks for a whole bunch of stuff. So it's easy to say figures because I get to do it for my job. So if I collect anything personally, weirdly enough, and I didn't get into this knowingly, but it turned out I have a pretty good collection of t-shirts and, um, streetwear stuff that I never set out to go, I'm going to collect these, but just by being in the right place, right time, uh, investing in the right things, or just buying because I like to wear it. I've got what I'm told is a pretty formidable and impressive collection of uh, t-shirts from a bathing ape, Supreme, um, concert shirts from the eighties and nineties, some of which I kept all the years, some of which I reacquired after foolishly letting them go at one point. Um, But not sneakers. I do not, I can't handle the sneaker game. It's too nuts. It's too competitive. It's too expensive. And, you know, God only gave me two feet, so I can only have about 10 or 12 pairs of sneakers at a time. So so the, the T-shirts, like, do you have a – you mentioned a couple of different, uh, like, subsects of, uh, of, of T-shirts. Do you have a, 
like a, a one that you prefer over the others? Uh, I keep asking myself that because every now and then I start thinking I should probably thin this closet out and maybe sell some of these. And I always go, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I look and I go, but I got to keep this one and I got to keep this one. Does it sound familiar to anyone who buys toys and maybe has a garage where there's no room for your car or your tools or your wife's stuff, but there's boxes of, you know, very well, well curated, alphabetized, temperature controlled toys. That's what my closet has turned into, as well as some plastic bins out in the in the back. Um, the, the the short answer is I like them all, and I guess I could part with some of them, but I do have some Grail pieces that I'm particularly proud of, and that the occasional, you know, clothing weirdo goes, "Damn, where'd you get that?" And I get to tell them a little story, and it's kind of fun. It's the same thing as I, the thrill I got of collecting records for so many years, and then of course collecting action figures for so many years. Do any of the uh, concert shirts stick out? Like, where's like what's like the top piece? Those, those I'm a little more emotional about, so I'm super stoked to share those. I've got a 1989 Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation tour T-shirt. Awesome. Uh, I think that one was from Madison Square Garden, um, or as I like to call it, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis with their very famous singer. Because uh, if you know anything about Jam and Lewis and Flight Time Productions, they created an amazing sound that was close to Prince's in his prolificness and also from Minneapolis. And Janet's career would not have been the same without Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I also have a really weird one-off Red Hot Chili Peppers t-shirt that was only sold, I think, at six concert dates when they were warming up for their very first dates ever with Dave Navarro as their guitarist. And I think it was also sold at Woodstock 94. That's a super rare one. I would probably never part with that one unless someone really you know, could help pay a medical bill or put a kid through a, a semester of college. Um, uh, and I, of course, I'm really proud of my Slayer uh, Patch the Titans shirt I wore at FanFest a couple weekends ago. Jericho made a point to remark about it backstage, and then, of course, he rechristened me as Slayer Guy at the event itself. So that was awesome. It was Megadeth, uh, Anthrax, and, uh, and Slayer, of course. And I, what you're probably getting is uh, I've got a pretty diverse palette of music that I love. You, you are amongst friends. Yes, you mentioned several artists in in a very short period of time that all mean quite a bit to, to Dave and I, uh, I including Prince and Slayer. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, you're you're in good company. Indeed. So before we dive into all of the fun AEW figures that Jazzwares is working on, tell us a bit about your history in the toy industry and how you came to work at Jazzwares. Oh, that's that's always fun to recount because one of the things I'm amused by and also in a weird way proud of is um, I definitely didn't take the linear path to get where I am. Um, I went to school for college for journalism. Uh, my goal was I was going to be uh, my my ideal for myself was I was going to get like a job working like for Rolling Stone or so, or Spin or some music magazine because it would fuel my lifelong passion and love for music and being involved with even peripherally in the music business. But of course, I would be constantly working on the great American novel that would, you know, naturally, you know, follow in the the huge footsteps of like uh, Douglas Cowpland and uh, Brett Easton Ellis and uh, uh, David Foster Wallace. And naturally, I was like, yeah, that's that's a whole different life that I'm not able to pursue. And my journalism degree actually parlayed me into um, an internship at MTV News. Um, so I got my music proximity itch and I still held the idea that I could be a writer and maybe even use MTV as that platform because, you know, MTV news wrote stories all day long. They wrote news and specials and I did TV from the age of 19 through, uh, just about 30. Um, 
I talked my way into my internship uh, at the age of 19. I was not blessed by the school to do so. And I eventually never actually got credit for it because I was only in my sophomore year of college and juniors and up were the ones that did internships, but you kind of couldn't stop me from trying. And uh, MTV liked me. So they only hired me on as an intern. They hired me on to work permanently after that. And uh, yeah, I was in the MTV family for I want to say 1995 through about 2003. And did you get to hang TV. out with Kurt Loder? I did. I've had Kurt Loder redline my scripts. I've watched him light one cigarette off the other while sitting in his office, and he was the, the only person in the entire building who was, quote-unquote, allowed to smoke because uh, the 90s and Giuliani era of New York City, smoking was banned pretty much everywhere except bars and even eventually then. But Kurt Loder was a rock and roll royalty, and he was allowed to smoke in his office. Um, but yeah, I've had Kurt Redline scripts for me and, and also also tell me very off the record stories about what Axl Rose is really up to down at the Rock and Rio Festival in Brazil. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, what what Madonna was actually like. Um, it was great. It was very fun. It, it scratched my music itch. It really developed me as a creative thinker and as a writer. Um, I did everything from an intern to production assistant to I've got several dozens hours of uh, uncredited barely credited and definitely non-union writing credits uh, for MTV news and special shows that were so much fun. And, um, and around that time I ended up falling in love, uh, marrying a great girl and thinking, great, we're going to be young, wonderful, fabulous couple in New York. And then we had the most wonderful of surprises about a year and a half later of the, the arrival of my first son. So I had to basically stop doing the crazy hours, the, you know, being in a production sh- truck shoot, you know, shooting an REM show down at the Bowery at 3 a.m. and get a little bit more of a stable existence uh, to pay the bills, but also to be, you know, a good young family person. At an age where none of our friends had kids, there was no rule book or playbook, and we had to basically figure it out on an MTV salary. Um, so um, Viacom is a very big, vibrant company with lots of different interests and holdings. And a perusal of the um, the employment uh, job opportunities handbook they had there that they published every couple of weeks uh, showed me that there was a weird, neat, new, fun job I'd never considered before. And that was Nickelodeon was hiring, uh, you know, attention geeks and toy collectors. And I was like, I am geeks and toy collectors. Uh, and they were essentially hiring a um, licensing coordinator to work for Nickelodeon consumer products. Um, this was at the heyday of SpongeBob had just premiered and was really getting into consumer products. Um, Dora the Explorer you know, winding down a bit of the Blue's Clues years. And they needed a young, scrappy, you know, person to come in and be a coordinator to help the licensing team, um, you know, basically license and approve and product develop with, you know, their great partners like Mattel and Hasbro and um, several other toy companies. And that was my, another thing, like my 19-year-old MTV News internship. I just kind of willed it into existence and talked my end of the job with, relatively little to no experience other than I buy toys and I have opinions on them and that worked. So, um, I was now in the toy business in a very, you know, licensing side of things. And, uh, I loved it. I was really good at it. And I think it showed they, they fast tracked me and nurtured me and couldn't say enough about the Nickelodeon family of how they, when they find talent or they identify talent, they really, they really go out of their way to nurture it and grow it. Um, I had so many good bosses and teammates who made me who I am in those firm formative first couple of years. Uh, and it was great. I got to meet Todd McFarlane and work with him personally through that. I got to meet, you know, Mez from Mezco and work with him on that because I was a dork and a collector. So 
not only did I get to work on the big picture, you know, Hasbro board games, master partnership, or some of our other big ticket items with, with Mattel and spin master and Jack specific, but I also was able to parlay my interests in, you know, collectibles and pop culture to do things like work with art asylum, uh, work with diamond, work with, uh, Palisades toys, rest in peace to the homies. Um, really great companies who we could do things like, Hey, beforehand, there weren't a lot of licensing deals anymore, you know, for cult favorites like Invader Zim and Ren and Stimpy. And with the momentum that we got, we actually took control over a lot of the Paramount and Comedy Central stuff. So I got to work on stuff for Dave Chappelle and I got to work on South Park. Um, and, uh, you know, just really good fun times that made me smarter, took advantage of what I brought to the table, but then made me a much better, more evolved, smarter, hardworking version of myself. And that's what you want out of any job and any experience. Um, so that was wonderful. And then by hanging out with all these great people, I realized they're, they're the ones making things happen. They either own the toy company or they're making it happen from the manufacturing side or the marketing side. And I got slowly seduced by that side of things to where as much as I love the licensing part, uh, the funny thing about being licensing, you get to see what everybody's doing. You go to a toy fair, you have your own licensing show. You can see what every person has in their showroom. And if you're a toy geek, it's, it's like Christmas, Hanukkah, every other birthday you ever had combined into one week at, you know, at toy fair. Um, when you're on the manufacturing side, you're more control of what you do, but you also live in that bubble of here's what I'm going to be doing for my company. And here's what our initiatives are. And that really intrigued me to be able to be a toy maker and not just a toy partner. So I stuck my finger out in the air and said, Hey, I might be interested in maybe moving to LA and working with you know some great companies that are partners of ours. And uh, I got three offers, two of which were written, one of which was a verbal offer. Um, and uh, I went with Jack specific. Uh, they were a billion dollar company at that time. They were crazy. They were run by really diverse, amazing executives like Jeremy Padauer and Michael Rinsler. Uh, and my, one of my current bosses, Gerhard Runken, and they had all the momentum in the world at that moment. And they were one of my crazy partners when I was at Nickelodeon. So they kind of knew I was a big toy dork. Um, so I went there had six glorious years there working on amazing, really crazy diverse portfolio of products as anyone at Jack's does. Um, they're very entrepreneurial. They really just dive into things and try new crazy things. And um, I walked out of that job with 13 Toady nominations, Toy of the Year nominations, and uh, zero wins. But uh, I got to work on and market and brand and connect with consumers on products that really sold really well, but also gave them really fun toy experiences. Um, I loved it. And I didn't work on a singular licensed brand that you guys maybe would have been like, oh, yeah. Did you work on WWE? Nope. That was Jeremy's world. Uh, but I learned a lot from him. You know, he took me under his wing and helped me try to apply creative thinking and problem solving and just connecting with people the way he did on WWE with my projects. And thank God he did because my next big thing was Power Rangers. And that was definitely career changing and life changing. Uh, and that meant everything to every job I've had since then. The ability to work with a iconic property a very evergreen one, but also one that you had to figure out new ways to kind of connect with consumers, connect with the fandom, bring new things to the market that would excite them instead of just kind of doing the same old product line every year. And holy cow, did I love doing that. I learned so much about the fandom and how to work with fandoms and um, how not to work with fandoms. And then also proud to say helped grow that business uh, exponentially because we had a lot of good things working for us. We had the legacy collection, 
which was, you know, really tapping not just Mighty Morphin at first, but eventually, you know, we had the the Legacy figure series that, you know, in turn turned out very similar and, and uh, a, a, a predecessor to Hasbro's Lightning Collection. Um, but as well as like, you know, diecast one-to-one morphers that were produced in 2014, but looked like the, the premium version of the thing that you got for Christmas that one year in 93, 94, or if you save up your money and you didn't get one then, you got one now. And diecast Megazords, you know, uh, the, the talking Saba sword that we did that, you know, won a m- bunch of awards for San Diego Comic-Con exclusive of the year. And uh, I think that was maybe 14 or 15. Um, so proud of the work there. Japanese company, which is super eye-opening and enriching for me to be a part of. And then a fandom of Power Rangers that gave me so much insight as to how fans like me and fans who are different and younger than me think, want to play, want to collect, and want to commune together. Um, it changed my life, and I love it to this day. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, to your point, like Power Rangers is just one of those brands that, much like Pokemon, you know, is, is something that I I don't think will ever go away. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. the, you know, whether it's people enjoying the the you know the source material of of Super Sentai, uh, or you know when it comes over to the states, you know, Power Rangers proper. But uh, you know that 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 is definitely a brand that. Uh, that, that that will be around for a long time for sure. Yeah, there's a it's a it's a Hall of Fame brand for sure. And um, I was just there's there was only one small window of time when I wasn't actively buying action figures or collecting, and it was around that time that it, I'm in college. So naturally, my finances are directed in you know not starving to death, still buying occasionally some you know records or a cool T-shirt, uh, but my toy collecting was pretty much iced at that point. But I was to, to, to pay my bills. I was also a um, uh, a kid's you know day camp and babysitting counselor at one of the uh, the kosher hotels up in the Catskills, and these kids are running around going, "I'm the Green Ranger. I'm Tommy. I'm the White Ranger," and and kung fu fighting each other. Now, naturally, I'm in charge of these kids, and their parents are going to break my arms if I if they let them break their arms. So I'm breaking them up and going, "What are you talking about? We're Power Rangers." And I'm literally like, what is a Power Ranger? Is that like a Ninja Turtle? And it was, it was the first pop culture toy moment that I literally felt excluded from because I was just at an age and an interest level and a survival slash thriving in New York City as a young you know, 18, 19-year-old that I couldn't embrace it. And to me, Power Rangers is always a weird thing that just missed me. You know, They missed me with that SHIT. And then talking to people and realizing what Power Rangers was to them and realizing that there's an entire generation of kids for whom that was their Star Wars. That was their 1982 G.I. Joe. That was their 1984 first wave Takara Transformers brought in by Hasbro. And it just clicked. And I really started working with the fans closely to understand what they want, how they wanted it, what Bandai America was doing right or wrong. And it, again, it's, it's relationships and a perspective on toy making and uh human bonding that I take with me to this day. So from one fandom uh, to another, you know, you, you then uh, ended, ended up at Jazzwares, right? Working on, uh, on AEW figures. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about a, a, a rabid fan base. I mean, wrestling <laughs> fans, um, yeah. you know, don't, don't get, uh, it doesn't get much more energetic than, than wrestling fandom. So um, you've, you've kind of become the, the face of AEW reveals, you know, especially over the past few um, fan fests, and and you know, you've alluded to what it's like 
uh, you know, working and then kind of getting in touch with the fan base. But what's it like to deliver uh, these these reveals uh, in front of an audience, be it be it virtual or, or otherwise? It's it's fun. It's for us. We're we're proud of what we do. We're proud to show it off. So that there's that that very base energy to it, right? Um, and we can't do this for a living without fans and collectors, right? Like the fact that you guys love this line and you buy it and some of you even buy more than one of them that justifies not only our hard work, but it, it keeps us very happily and gainfully employed doing something that we love. So there's always a amount of pride in what the work we do, but there's also a pride in sharing it because, you know, action figure fans in general, and I think even some sub genres wrestling being one of them in particular, there's an emotional connection there that's really palpable and important. Um, you know, wrestling is real human beings. I can't show Pokemon its action figure. Um, we're doing it a, a beautiful job that I'm super proud of too on Halo, but I can't relate to Master Chief on a level like, hey, I know this isn't your first action figure, but how do you feel about it? Um, and I think fans connect to wrestlers in a way that we all know that there's, you know, there's, there's, there's works, there's ribs, there's kayfabe involved in that, but they're human beings and we love them and we sometimes hate them. And we're buying plastic small versions of them, and we're expressing our fandom through that. Um, so to be able to share that with with fans, it's just so gratifying. We love that. Um, sometimes we have to do them through, uh, you know, um, Instagram and Twitter because we're not on site for an event. And there's always that anticipation of making sure the images look great, hoping that you know you guys really love how they look, and then bracing ourselves too for you know feedback ranging from either constructive feedback that we're always happy to learn from to you know, outright haters and people that just want to talk shit all the time, pardon my French. Um, and again, I've learned working with fandoms that that's all part of it. Everyone's expressing themselves. Everyone deserves and has the right to express themselves. And, you know, how we take that information and what we do with it helps reinforce the bond that we do have with the fandom and the community. Um, so even if it's bad feedback or if it's sketchy feedback or we question the source of the feedback, it's feedback. We have to listen to it. You can't cherry pick it. And you can't be deaf to the bad stuff and only, you know, uh, um, spark to the good stuff. Um, and that's important to us. So the reveals, whether they're digital or they're in person and in person, there's definitely an energy to it. It's fun. And, you know, I was an only child, so I learned to be a ham at a young age. I don't mind being in front of crowd of 25 or 25,000. It doesn't, it doesn't upset me. If anything, it, it makes me go, how can I connect to these folks with something that they love? It's not me. I'm a vessel to deliver it to them. It's what, it's this action figure. That's what they want. Um, and they're fun. It's so much fun to do that. Uh, it's one of the pleasures of our jobs. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point, one of, one of my fondest memories, I, I have to say my, instead of our, and Dave, I'm not doing this to rub it in. I know you've heard this story like a million times, but, um, right after we had kind of started doing this podcast and, and doing the blog, we, we managed to get, um, get, to go to New York Toy Fair, the the last one that that happened before all of you know the pandemic and the cancellations and everything. Oh my god! It seems like it seems like mere months ago, and it seems yeah. weirdly like six years ago. It's so it's such mm-hmm. a weird world we're living in. But I'm so glad you were at that one. That was an electric toy fair. So so we didn't know anybody. Like we 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 did not know anybody. I didn't know that you needed appointments for things. Like I had never been to a toy fair. I was I was literally like a lost soul wandering around, and um. And uh, I wandered past the enormous, I don't want to call it a booth. It was much larger than a booth. The, the enormous Jazzwares experience, we'll say that, <laughs> right? Um, and at the time, like, this is, you know, pre-pandemic. 
uh, you know, nobody is in lockdown yet. Like it was like knocking on the door, you know, it it was coming. But um, I had been out of the loop for wrestling for day of what, like at least 10, maybe 15 years at that point. It had been a while at that point. At 10 is 10. It's probably closer to 15 at least. So I walk over and I'm looking at the call sheet and Dave is like, Jazzwares, they're making AEW figures. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and he's explaining to me via text message because he's at work and couldn't get off for the day for this. And he's like, well, who's going to be there? So I'm looking at the sheet and like, you know, I see names on there that I recognize that were, of course, not there that day. I was like, OK, I know who Dustin Rhodes is. I know who Chris Jericho is like, you know, I know who Cody Rhodes is like, I, I know I know these names. But today, some guy Hangman and some guy Kenny Omega are here and dave is sending me pictures of what they look like and he's like read this real quick you know like this (laughs) i literally was was terrified because i'm walking into this booth and i know that they're going to be in there and then i it started to kind of dawn on me what was happening that like i was like oh this is like a real rival like a like a wwe rival uh you know product and these guys like this is their first ever action figure so like i i was fortunate enough to do a very brief any interview with uh with uh adam page and he's sitting there holding his like holding his very first action figure and i had the opportunity to ask him like you know what's this like and you could tell that he was just kind of infatuated with it and that the energy (laughs) around that booth was was like you know, the hair was standing up on, on people's arms. It was it was electric. And then, of course, Kenny Omega grabs a Nerf rifle and starts barreling. Uh, I remember that. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there trying to give the interview, and I'm like, I don't know who that guy is over there that's shooting this guy. But, like, we're just sitting there, and then all of a sudden they run off together, and they're having, like, a Nerf war in the middle of the booth. Eric's like, yeah, this guy's shooting. And I'm like, oh, the best wrestler on the planet is shooting <laughs> Nerf At arrows. At the time, and- they, were, they were tag champs, I believe. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, obviously, like, I, you know, I get back home and I I show Dave the video and he's like, you got to put that online somewhere. And like, we barely had a YouTube channel. And to this day, it's still like our top watched video. Because I think I titled it like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, Kenny Omega attacks uh, (laughs) Hangman Adam Page at New York Toy Fair or something like that. It predated the heel turn. Yeah, so I, I got I got a nice little like, but but the 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 point of that story was the the coolest part about that was, regardless of the fact that I I didn't know who it was at the time, and like I would love to go back and tell past me some things that I know now and be like maybe ask these questions, but like just getting to experience, uh, you know, somebody experiencing their toy for the first time of themselves, um was was amazing it was an absolutely amazing experience that's so great uh that was a very that was a very electric week because uh exactly what you're saying atlanta uh dynamite the right before new york toy fair i went to atlanta and i brought the first wave of figures with me under lock and key in fact i think the the screenshot you used to 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 hype the podcast today was me actually about to enter jericho's dressing room with his figure for the yes. first time. Yeah. Um, and I brought them there to show them because we wanted to do something special. And as you saw, they, they actually created like a video package that uh, aired on TV um, to reflect it. And it was, I, I'm proud to say, I think 
no one's disproved me yet, but I'm also not a braggart. So I'm open if anyone can, can correct me on this. But to this day, I think it's still the first action figure line ever to be debuted on primetime television. Um, I went, I went to each of the talent, uh, who were in the first wave. So it was Cody, Brandy, Matt, Nick, um, uh, and Kenny, mm-hmm. um, and who am I forgetting? Sorry. Oh, and Jericho. Jericho, Jericho. Jericho. And it was, it was, it was only his thousandth action figure. It's why I forget it. Um, <laughs> but we showed like they had seen like an iPad, like, okay, so your figure's coming out like this. They're looking at a 2d, you know, approval pictures. So, yeah. Well, tell them to move this or can they get the, can they get that paint on, you know, that deco on my, on my trunks better but they had not seen anything physical. I had the pleasure of basically bum rushing each and every one of them and getting their very first live reactions to their figures on camera. And you nailed it. Half of those guys, not more, it was their first ever action figure to have that moment with them. And I continue to have those moments with these guys. Every time we show like a Ricky Starks or a Thunder Rosa to see there with my teammates shoulder to shoulder to give them that experience and watch their faces. Most of these, these uh, folks 35 and under, they grew up on the Jack specific figures. So there's this lineage there to the work that my team from my executive vice president level, Jeremy, down to us in the trenches working. These, there's a history and a legacy here that we bring to the table that's really special. And I hope people see that and feel that in each figure because to give a, a grizzled veteran Jericho who's had a thousand figures to have him say, this is probably the best, if not top three figure that you guys have ever made for me to, you know, tears in the eyes of a young talent who's getting their first toy ever. You know, they made it. They're in AEW. They're on TV. They have an action figure. It's an amazing experience. Um, we took that energy into New York Toy Fair. I'm so glad you felt the energy there. Like that booth was literally rocking at its foundation. And that was critical too, because on a macro level, that was the first Toy Fair uh, post Jazzwares buying us Wicked Cool Toys and buying Kelly Toy. Kelly Toy being the largest plush manufacturer in the world. And naturally the brand uh, Swish Mellows rings a bell, right? Yeah. So we, we walked into that knowing that it was, a, it was a crossroads for the company and for everything to kind of hit on every cylinder the way it did and to have folks like you walk out of that with that experience. It, 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 we ache for another toy fair like that. And at the same time, we're like, well, God, how are we going to top that one? <laughs> yeah, I just remember like the next day we got to – go back and take a couple pictures real quick and i just remember seeing them going oh oh yeah this is this is going to be something like i i was seeing them like kind of being very excited and kind of looking forward to when you know the chase was going to happen like actually then going out and getting them and then Mm -hmm. i remember that video package too and i just remember going all right this is this is going to be something Nice. Glad we gave you that impression, and hopefully we're living up to that every month since then, two years ago. It's crazy to think that that was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember going out the weekend they they hit New Jersey and just like, all right, time to find these. Looking for that shipper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Again, I learned – I'm a student of the game. I learned when to open my mouth. I learned when to shut it. Man – we had, we had a pretty good certain idea that thing was going to be on shelf, I think, August 3rd on Walmart floors. And um, boy, that thing didn't start showing up until about two weeks later after we TV advertised on you know Dynamite programming there. Come, Tony Schiavone was the voiceover, coming August 3rd. And a week later, no pallets. Two weeks later, we see a pallet in, in, uh, in, in LA. There's a pallet in Montana. And then finally by September – they all made it, but there was never a moment where every God, how many was it? Like almost 3,000, 2,500 stores. There was never a moment where 
the Walmart pallets were all on the floor at the same time. So our sales were these very weird staggered blips every week that a pallet would arrive <laughs> in a store in the middle of the country. Uh, and it lasted all the way till about the middle or, or end of September. But the, the intel was that if the pallet got there on a Monday, it was stripped completely clean by Tuesday. Like those things didn't last. And some people were saying, can I take this home? Or it was getting thrown out in the dumpster and people were just taking it from the back of the store. Yeah. By Tuesday, so we, I would say it was, if it was showing up on Monday, it was done by Monday. Yeah, at least in this area, for sure. Yeah. I, I never actually saw one filled with figures. Dave was fortunate enough. I saw one, one full that they brought out and I was like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, probably one of the coolest things I've seen. It was it was a wonderful it was a wonderful problem to, to happen. Walmart was a great partner. By the way, when I say that it didn't set on time, it was not any person or thing's fault. It was it was just a crazy crashing of a number of circumstances that eventually paled in comparison to what we all went through. You know, because uh, <laughs> of all the COVID stuff happening. So, um, but anyway, we were fortunate. It was a hit, and we've been sprinting to keep up. You know, every wave since then. So we've seen, speaking of keeping up, we've seen the AW line innovate design when it comes to something like Orange Cassidy's Pockets. Now we're seeing the next step in that innovation with the Supreme line, with more interchangeable parts and more intricate ring gear. Um, what can we expect from this new line moving forward? Uh, Unrivaled Supreme is definitely something we're really excited about. We've been kind of nurturing it for a while. If we were going to make a deluxe figure, what would it look like? What would it need to do different from Unrivaled or its you know little little brother sister uh, Unmatched? Uh, what, what would you pay a little bit more for? Um, funnily enough, I think I might mention this on the ringside, so I won't I won't belabor it. But like you get to that point where you're doing a line architecture, and you're like, well, I guess we'll start doing two packs because we can you know it's it's twice the price, but you're getting two figures for it. And sure, we could do that, but I think it was just that same fork on the road of going. What can we do to constantly challenge and innovate ourselves? You know, we've gotten a number of waves under our belt now for Unrivaled. Now we've got a match coming. We've worked with a couple of different factories. We've calibrated and fine-tuned. We're working with the better partners now than maybe in the first wave or two, as good as those figures came out. How do we keep upping the game and how do we keep upping ourselves? Um, we, this is not a cruise control brand. Therefore, we're not going to treat it like that. And I think just, yeah, how, how could we take unrivaled figure and make it somehow supreme how make, make it uh, somehow better but not at the expense of an unrivaled figure and again we're all collectors right i mean if i do buy action figures for pleasure a lot of it i'm going to admit is um i'm a dork for this stuff but it's a lot of anime figures so i'm a big figma fan um i'm a i'm a, I'm a big fan of a lot of the japanese manufacturers who um make hyper articulated figures at different scales um you know our design teams, Sandro, Ray, Magic, who you all know, um, they're, they devour great figures and learn from them too. And, you know, AEW deserves the best. So we figured, okay, if we're going to charge 40 bucks for a figure, it better deliver on a number of fronts. Um, and help, what helps fuel that is AEW wrestlers are so generous because their gear is across the board great. Like, yeah, Orange Cassidy, you might notice this, this, this denim's either a little more bleachy or less bleachy than it used to be. Uh, but for the lot, there's a lot of great costuming and a lot of great deco and textures and colors and sequins. And, you know, there's economics to making action figures. So for a $20 figure, you're going to be able to fit so much soft goods or so much deco 
uh, on top of everything else you're putting into it, which is great articulation, you know, the best head sculpt we can get per figure. Um, so that opened the door for us too. When we teased uh, Brit, uh, Cody, Kenny, and um, Malachi at, at FanFest, what I hope came across is that it's like getting two and a half, maybe in some cases, three action figures in one. And part of that is not just extra heads, uh, meaningful hands. We're not just going to go hand crazy. I think that's a, a good thing, lesson we've learned in a couple of different brands. Like, yeah, we make hands. Well, make sure the hands do something. Um, and then the costuming, the the outfits, uh, whether it's soft goods or whether we can really just really truly deco paint the hell out of a vinyl or plastic accessory. Everything about the Unrivaled Supreme series should be a very logical plussed up evolution of what we love and are proud of, of both unrivaled and unmatched. I have to say that the thing that I was most impressed with, so like obviously seeing, you know, uh, a Malachi black figure and, you know, he, he has such iconic entrance gear and, you know, yeah. When I saw the, the antlers, I was like, I was floored because that's not something you'd expect to see in a, a regular package. The, the thing that, that actually caught my attention was the fact that the Kenny Omega figure I, like I can't recall an action figure, and I, and I may be wrong, but I, I can't recall an action figure, let alone a wrestling figure, that came with basically two sets of of heads depicting two different just types of facial hair and hair. <laughs> Isn't that great? So like mm-hmm. you know to that point, like I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, I have I have a one B Kenny, you know that that the that series one Kenny, you know from that Toy Fair experience, that was like the Kenny Omega that I needed in my collection. It's like you get this Kenny and you effectively do get like, do get like three figures out of it, you know, between the, the two different, uh, the two different, um, uh, the two different, uh, pants, you know, in, in the ring gear and then, you know, the four different heads and then the, the, you know, the the entrance jacket, it's like, you can recreate so many different, you know, looks there. And the storytelling of that figure is you almost are taking the ride of when Kenny became champ and then what essentially happened to Kenny or he did himself during his tenure as champion, right? Like short of throwing a Don Callis figure in there, you almost have your soup to nuts evolution of Kenny into the ultimate heel champion in a single package. Mm -hmm. And again, we didn't charge 60 bucks for it. We charged 40 bucks. All those figures I mentioned, I love, I love collecting Nendroids and Figmas. You know, I pay 60 to 80 bucks for those. Uh, that was a model for us to kind of hit with, you know, facial expressions and you can swap the face plates out and whatnot. But to be able to give that kind of storytelling of a, a snapshot of the one of the greatest wrestlers of all time in what was essentially the, the craziest marquee year of his life and, and for his character as a championship reign and the company's growth while with him as champion. It's so neat to get that in a single purchase. <laughs> that and, you know, even like somebody like Brit, where you have. You basically, if you're pl- if you know you're a kid and you're playing with these toys, with these figures, you have pretty much your interview Brit and your ring Brit in one toy. Yeah, we're with we're, the we're, we're stoked. We're stoked to give you that. That's it's glad you're recognizing it. Glad people are reacting well to it. Um, even down to the details, like we can give her the Gucci belt. We did we did give her two interlocking bees for her belt buckle, right? It's like little bits of detail that. We're not going to license Gucci, but you still get that same feeling of like, that's, that's Brit's belt right there. Um, And she loved that little detail too. She's like, oh, I get it. You know, I'm not going to pay Gucci. I want the royalties. And she laughs because she gets how the business works. (laughs) 
and the and, design and of it's the... brand new. Yeah, like you've ne- there's never been like okay, we're gonna switch out the legs, like the lower half of this figure. Um, just the fact that there's just so much going on, even down to the packaging, like the way it looks. If you don't open it, it's still gonna be something that's like wildly just beautiful to look at. So we gave you a sneak peek of that packaging on screen. I think when we, you know, next the next public uh, forum we have there, we'll show you some actually like packed out near production samples. That packaging, I think, I hope I put the packaging team over well enough at FanFest. Um, the, the packaging is just as important of a presentation um, as all the stuff that you just talked about that you're getting with the figure. Um, we went that with a very serious notion of like, this has to look great at a retail shelf because we're asking you to pay more for it. It's a new unproven price point and format for us, you know, the business stuff. But then when you get it home and if you don't want to open it, it better look good on your shelf too. I've bought a lot of figures that are very generous with body parts or things that you can swap out and do things or dress them up differently. But the figure is not the focal point in, in, in the package. They're usually off to the left, maybe off to the right. And they're essentially like festooned with and surrounded by dismembered body parts or a, a tucked up shirt. And I really wanted to see if we could take the electricity and excitement of that Cody Rhodes TNT title night ringside exclusive we did where Cody's essentially at the entrance ramp with, you know, the, 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 the entrance portal behind him from, you know, dynamite. Uh, and how do you then translate that into a multi-pack like this? And uh, Chris and Steve, our packaging team, they're so good. They knew to move the extra ancillary stuff to the sides, like, a, like an angled, not quite side, but still sort of front panel. So when you look at it, you just see a beautiful figure in all its glory. But if you slowly tilt it left, you slowly tilt it right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look how many heads they gave me. Oh, crap. There's a championship belt and a shirt and a set of legs. It's It makes it beautiful to look at. It makes it nice if you don't want to open it and you want to display it. Um, and it gives you a true sense of like, man, I'm really getting a lot of stuff here for my dollar. So the other thing I wanted to mention too that I, that I think is you know because like you mentioned the 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 um you know, the idea of those Figma figures you know I, I have I'm actually you said that and I'm I'm staring at my my Legend of Zelda uh, Link Figma figure but um the thing that's kind of unique about at least I feel about the 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 Jazzwares wrestling figures is kind of even prior to this the Supreme line announcement is kind of the hot swappability of them like the fact that you can pop you know, if you have w- without any kind of like boil and pop, like, you know, it's just that that ball <laughs> joint. But like, you know, if you had bought, you know, one B Kenny and, you know, you had bought unmatched one Kenny and you wanted to put unmatched one Kenny's, you know, torso on the one B pants, you know, to give him a different, you know, add play value, right? Give him a different look for, you know, either the photography you're taking or maybe you're fig fed. Um, you can. So I like the idea that this line is going to show more people that maybe haven't explored that option yet, that like, these are things that you can do with these figures that, you know, is something that's unique to the line. And, and I, as soon as I saw the extra legs, that was the first thing I thought of was like, they're embracing this. Like, <laughs> nice. nice. I'm glad to see that. And I'm glad you guys are excited. Um, we'll, we'll definitely show some more progress in the coming months, but the reaction has been strong. We're happy for that. And like any, you know, new baby, you got to bring to market. You just hope, Everyone reacts at the uh, at the at the shelf and peg level too, because um, Knockwood, we've got you know we've got placement at all of our major retail partners, and they they see they see the power and electricity of AEW right now too, and you know it's a great place to be right now because you know we're doing great, Mattel's doing great, 
you know, wrestling's in that kind of first phase of the, the, the rebirth cycle it does every 15 or 20 years. And it's exciting to be a contributor to that. And, you know, all the Mattel guys are friends of ours. So we're excited that, you know, they're, they're also driving their part of it. Um, it's a great place to be. What retailers are seeing is that, Hey, nice. We got another strong revenue stream in wrestling figures again, where, you know, one time it was one player and, you know, really it came down to who was on screen that week. And, you know, what was the case pack strategy? Now it's like, we've got, you know, two really strong players and people who love wrestling making two lines worth of wrestling figures together. So it's a really cool place to be. And now a word from our sponsors. And now back to the show. So one of the more fun crossovers, uh, you know, for the, the, the Jasper's AEW line, you know, and especially considering, you know, that you guys have the, the embrace kind of the, the chase and, and rare aspect of things uh, was to include the, the now wildly popular upper deck cards in, in Unmatched 3 and, and in the upcoming Un- Unrivaled 9. Um, are there plans for any kind of other crossovers in the future? Uh, blue sky, it's, it's wide open. Uh, we have a really just fun, good, mutually beneficial burgeoning relationship with upper deck. Um, AEW has, you know, they're not out there like other licensors can do and getting every deal they can or listening to every, you know, potential product idea. They're scaling their business up in really smart fashion and tapping upper deck, tapping us, you know, all the little things we're hearing and murmurings, like little teases we've been getting about a video game. These are the right moves for them as licensor. And as such, they were smart and, and um, just great partners to make sure that we and Upper Deck had a chance to meet each other, work together. And I think we're all excited about what we can do together. And our, our initial conversations were not just about what we can do now, but what we can do to grow each other together. So um, looking forward to defining what that, that potential is and you know sharing it with you guys too. So... Pro wrestling rosters are an ever-growing and changing landscape. Um, and, you know, we've seen Unrivaled and Unmatched become more widely available on shelves. So how do those things factor into the series lineups? And is there more of an opportunity to kind of dive deeper into the roster? Yeah, a uh, couple of different facets at work there for us. One is... You're right. There has been more of like a loosening of the log jam of like a lot of like the global logistics and shipping and port stuff where, you know, we would ship a wave on time. But if it sat on a boat or if the boat sat in the port or if the boat finally got to port and then the trucks had a hard time getting to Target or Walmart's distribution center and then Target and Walmart are experts in logistics, getting the stuff from their DCs to their stores. Sometimes you'd have a lag in weeks there of when a you know a wave could could potentially premiere, or there'd be nothing for a couple of weeks, and then boom, you walk in and there's a full set planogram. Um, that's the fact that that's changing is good. It's helping us, and uh, it reflects all the hard work that everyone from a logistics standpoint, production standpoint, retail standpoint does to to get products out there. Um, it has not been easy the last two years, and um, I'm proud of what we've done to succeed in that two years, and with very few horrible hiccups. Um, so good on everyone there. Um, and the other part of that is I think where we really smartly picked our battles was, yeah, we could ship more unrivaled waves and maybe ship them even quicker, but would that really solve the problem of having, you know, great sales and to your point, getting the roster out there in a meaningful way where you could have a great mix of to my first ever action figure. Ooh, this is now new, the new best Dustin Runnels figure you ever had. Um, and Unmatched gives us that opportunity. Uh, 
The fact that you can go to any, you know, Walmart or Target any week of the year and know that there's either a fresh unrivaled and an unmatched I might have picked through a couple weeks ago or vice versa means it gives you guys more engagement and excitement to go and look for your favorite figures. And it means we can also get deeper in the roster. Yeah, we're always going to have, you know, the joke was we and we acknowledged it at the at the first fan fest last year you know you can do too many cody's uh the only person who didn't think we did enough cody's or too many cody's was cody himself uh <laughs> and, he, and he occasionally will still text me a joke like that uh but the fact is we you, you need your a plus stars in every wave but you also do want to get deeper in the roster you know people rejoiced when they saw that dark order wave it wasn't set out to be a dark order wave for, for wave three of unmatched but it just made perfect sense and again to make sure that you can get you know uh, John Silver in there and Uno and Anna Jay, all anchored by, of course, the great late Brody Lee. It just made sense to go for it. And what it does now is it reinforces all y'all's notion. And what we believe too is like, well, we got to complete the Dark Order at some point soon, don't we? And that's what Unmatched and Unrivaled living in a parallel existence does for us. And it's great. Um, it makes sure that you guys every four to six weeks have something new to look at and buy. And it's not just the same stuff that's been sitting there or maybe we didn't pick such a hot wave and maybe there's some peg warmers and you guys suffer for it because the new stuff doesn't make it in time. Um, so I'm really proud of how meaningful and sincere and intelligently we went about that strategy and I'm glad it's paying off. Yeah. It's, it, we, we like to call it here. The, uh, the Batman rule, um, you know, it, it, every, every wave or the Spider-Man rule, you know, every wave has to have, you know, that anchor character, regardless of what brand you're producing for, you know, absolutely. The, there always has to be a Batman or a Spider-Man on the shelves. So, yep. At any given point, it's someone's first exposure. They watch their first episode of Dynamite, exactly. or or they're buying their first wrestling figure. So, you want to make sure you've always got someone in there that they recognize or or stand for. Uh, but but as we're as we're learning, because AEW is so unique, some people's first hero in wrestling is Orange Cassidy or Danhausen, and that's such a super neat, weird place to be uh, because. You would normally think it's like, you know, put another Jericho in there, get another Cody in there. And we're going to do that. But when you have like this tidal wave of outcry for where's my Orange Cassidy, where's my hook, where's my Danhausen, that's endemic of what AEW does differently from everyone else. That they're they're either capturing the right independent, you know, wrestling stars and bringing them to a, a larger, grander stage or they're helping – make stars either directly or inadvertently by having them in AEW. And I love that because now I'm like, Oh boy, now I get to lick my lips and, and you know, rub my hands together and go, okay, team, you know, who do we want in this wave? Uh, is it time to send hook? Uh, is it, is it time to, you know, ask this great star to maybe change their outfits a little bit so they can get that second or third figure. Um, it really helps. And again, just having more figures to do that with across unrivaled and unmatched makes that a reality. So speaking of, of, you know, the, the, uh, the talent itself, uh, you know, and, and kind of the choices that you have to make, um, going back to the idea of having that, that chase and that rare, that, that one of one of three and one of 5,000, you know, uh, respectively, um, how do you guys go about making the decision, which wrestler gets the, uh, gets the chase or, or rare rub? It's, uh, like a lot of things we do, uh, it's, it's a total democracy. You've got people on the brand who love it, eat it, breathe it, and are very knowledgeable, and both about action figures in general, but about AEW. So we've had out-of-left-field contributions. We've had the most, yeah, duh, that makes sense. And plus, you know, um, it won't cost us an arm and a leg to make it, literally and figuratively, because, you know, 
the same body, but we'll change the head. We'll change the shirt. There's a, there's, there's a democratic alchemy that goes into it that then syncs up with what AEW's, you know, interests and priorities are too. Um, you know, Anna J gets her first ever action figure and surprise, you're also, you're, you're also a chaser or rare. Um, <laughs> I think, I think we did the same with, you know, Ricky Starks and Thunderosa a couple weekends ago. Um, and, and for magic and Ray and Sandro, it's a matter of like, you know, what kind of creative playground can we do here? Like to make them look different, but also be smart, intelligent, you know, toy company where we're not spending tons and tons of more dollars to make a chaser or rare, but we're maximizing, you know, manufacturing and cost efficiencies, but also making something that you guys look at and go, Oh yeah, I, I can see that it has the same torso, but you don't think it at first. What you think is like, Oh my God, I can't believe they did the pants or the trunks from that event and also changed the face and gave them a, a, something to wear on their head or a championship belt too. Um, and that's fun. It's fun to figure those out. It's fun to see who gets the chase or the rare. And then it's fun to creatively problem solve how to make it a meaningful figure because we never rest on our laurels like, eh, it's a chase. They'll go nuts for it. No, 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 no. It's got to be a meaningful chase for you to go nuts for it, not just because it's an investment purchase of one of 3,000. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of see, you know, kind of like things that you remember when it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that when that happened on, you know, the pay-per-view or on the show. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we, we do not have we do not have a generically outfitted figure in the line. I don't believe. I think everyone is 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 matched to an event, an airing of a pay per view, an episode of Dynamite, and now of course you know airing of Rampage. Um, that's cool. There's a there's a history and a lineage to what AEW's growth was with these stars. And truthfully, again, it means you get multiple bites at the apple with great talent because they often change up their stuff. And you know they did something amazing on an episode of Rampage, and they won a title on an episode of Dynamite, and it's more more for us to give you guys. So, you know, you think of many of the iconic moments that AEW has had in its short history, you know, even something as amazingly iconic as the first dance with CM Punk, um, which have stood out as something that, um, which have stood out the most as something that needs to be immortalized in plastic. That still needs to be, or has been either one. Well, the has been is, is a fun one. Uh, if you play back footage of Jericho's backstage uh, banter the night he won the championship at, at, at All Out, um, if you look really carefully in the shadows, you can actually see me and Magic hiding. Uh, we had not announced that we were AEW's partner yet, uh, but we were basically a- attending the the the, uh, <laughs> the pay-per-view under cloak and dagger uh, to A, scan the roster, B, be there for you know what was essentially their second you know biggest pay-per-view, um, uh, and and to immortalize that moment of Chris Jericho, which, of course, became the ringside exclusive, a little bit of the bubbly. Um, so we have personal connection to that one. We were there and saw it live happen. Uh, I believe when he said, nice hat, idiot, he was pointing in my general direction. Uh, could have been me. <laughs> Jericho, Jericho has cut at least a half a dozen promos on me in my short life with him. So it, it, it was possible. Um, and the fact that we were able to give that out there as our first like, kind of big marquee exclusive – pretty much in, in parallel with the shipment of wave one. That was great. Um, it also funnily enough, and Jericho was the first to point out to it. It was also our first production run with the, with a factory we never worked for, uh, worked with. So we got some very interesting, um, DIJ prints on that, those faces and some melted head sculpts coming out of the factory that knock wood, we were able to make good on and get people <laughs> replacements and, and customer service the heck out of the issue. But, um, it was such a neat, weird bubble of time. It was a successful product. Ringside loved it to death. The fans loved it. And every now and then I'd get a text message like, 
what happened to Jericho's face? And, you know, we fixed it. <laughs> um, and as far as, you know, uh, ascendant opportunities, like moments we want to memorialize, we, we have the f- most fun and frustrating time where we'll Monday morning quarterback every episode of a, of a, of a, a pay-per-view, a rampage and a dynamite. And there are so many moments we go, Oh my God, we got to make that. And then we just continually do the gut check of like, okay, is the orange juice match between Jericho and orange Cassidy truly going to live on in our minds forever? Or is it just another fun thing that we're reacting to? And we have to play those, those scenarios out for what, what they really are. Um, you know, we really sat there scratching our heads going, God, do we tool new tuxedoed bodies for, for Max and Jericho for their, <laughs> their for, for Le Dinner Debonair? It was such a cool segment. And you, 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 you go, gosh, will this resonate in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months? So we constantly ask ourselves that. But, you know, there's a lot of just wonderful moments that we can memorialize um, and some that we've started to and maybe haven't completed yet. And I'll leave that as a dangling dot, dot, dot that you guys can speculate and banter about between now and uh, Double or Nothing Fan Fest. <laughs> there well, you go. Speaking of things that are that are, have been dangling in front of us, uh, you recently announced the, that after two decades, the collecting world is, is finally getting a new Owen Hart figure, a, a modern Owen Hart figure. Um, tell us a little bit about how this opportunity came about and uh, and and what can we expect from this this relationship? Are we are we looking at just one figure? Are we looking at potentially more than one figure? Uh, just we're, we're, we're just curious. Sure. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of inside baseball that got us to this point. Uh, great people talking to each other and understanding each other and having a mutual interest in really just um, making the most out of one of the the most legendary iconic and beloved wrestlers in the business. Um, AEW makes us proud. They, they really pick great partners and are so thoughtful and sincere in everything they do. So, uh, you know, wh- whatever, whatever they worked out with, uh, you know, Martha Hart and the foundation, um, we're so proud to be able to share in it. Um, a figure is long overdue. Naturally, we will be playing in the sandbox that we should be and are allowed to, which is, you know, celebrating Owen's career when he, he wasn't in certain, you know, leagues or promotions. Um, and uh, I think what we showed you uh, is hopefully just the tip of the iceberg. Um, nothing I can tell you concrete just yet, but just know that it's a dream come true for Jeremy. Um, we all grew up watching him too. And so it's a point of pride to do him justice, but also to work with such a lovely family who always resisted, you know, opportunities and licensing previously the, to, to never do any injustice to uh, a wonderful man's legacy and a family's legacy. Um, you know, that we take that with the same sincerity and heart uh, and um, pride and humility that we did, you know, working with, um, you know, the, the Brody Lee figure and, and his family. Um, to be able to do that and make toys, again, it's humans, it's connecting with humans, and it's, it's, it's bringing magic to shelf. Um, it's such a great, fun place to be, and we're proud to be there. And we'll have more to show you soon. Yeah, that's one that I, I know, you know, we, we speak on behalf of many. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where, again, to that point, like, we grew up watching Owen. Like whether it was you know Owen you know in, in you know the, uh, the the WWE you know as the, the the multiple different facets of of a character that he was, uh you know he was a huge part of our our 
you know, uh, our childhood. And, you know, we always had figures of him growing up, you know, whether it was the, you know, the Jack's Bone Crunchers, uh, you know, um, it, it's. Yeah, it was the Bone Crunchers. It, it's just, it's been, it's been so long. And like, as, as an adult collector and like, you know, kind of look at the scope of things, you know, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my Luminaries Sting, you know, right, right in front of me. And I, I can't believe that in 20, you know, in 2022, not only in 2022 is Sting, you know, taking uh, taking bumps off of balconies on pay-per-view, but like the fact that there's a brand new Sting, uh, you know, or or the the Lionheart Jericho that's that's coming out, the Corazon de Leon, right? Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's so great that you know somebody is paying tribute and honoring the legacy of of Owen Hart with a new figure and and you know and, and getting it into collector's hands so super exciting yeah right on we're again it's, it's cool and fun and proud and, and humble to, to to be a part of that um and yeah like again the 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 fun part is too is like you guys I get to see what everyone comes up with from the packaging standpoint uh from the design standpoint you know the, the palpable excitement and and pride everyone's taking and putting this together and and you know, growing luminaries into something where, you know, could it be its own, you know, brand one day, right? Right now it occupies a little slot within the unmatched waves. Um, you know, if there's an opportunity someday to work with, you know, more legendary talent, uh, you know, if AEW continues to bring in luminary level talent in their current stage and age, uh, they're worth making figures of. And if they also bring with them, you know, likeness rights and, you know, uh, trademark rights to earlier, you know, uh, versions of themselves at various points of their career. We're, we're going to keep looking for those opportunities because there's a wrestling fan who wants to celebrate that. And, you know, we're definitely the, the right partner to do it. Um, so who knows? It could continue just being like a one slot thing every couple months or, you know, if the, if the rights open up or if there's other opportunities to, to make luminaries, its own special thing, we, we, we'd be there for it. So before we, we head into our Q and a, um, the one thing that, you know, we wanted to mention is, you know, we, we've talked pretty much solely about, about uh, the work that you do um, on the AEW line, but the, there are, is quite a few brands that you, you also uh, work on over at Jazzwares. Um, it, do you find it difficult in your role uh, jumping in and out of all, of all of those different headspaces? Like, you know, I'm, today I'm thinking about Master Chief and then today I'm thinking about Chris Jericho and tomorrow I'm thinking about Pokemon. Like, uh, is it uh, is it a challenge to, to kind of get your brain in the right spot to work on each of those brands individually? Uh, unequivocally, un- unequivocally, absolutely, concretely, yes, it is very hard, uh, and I love it. It's 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 a privilege to do this, and it's just like any other job where it'll drive you crazy if you don't have the right mindset. There's some days you're more tired and depleted than others. Um, and I loved, I loved your, your chronology of things, just change day to hour to 90 minutes. And it's the same sensation. I'm literally by noon, I've probably had three or four different brand meetings where I've got to think like, you know, a, a vehicle collector for micro machines, or I've got to, you know, tackle an issue, um, you know, with, uh, with Fortnite, um, or, you know, learn, learn, learn coming down the pipeline from three, four, three on halo. And. The end result is it's tiring, it's exhausting at times, but it's also exhilarating. It's so much fun. And, uh, you know, thank goodness I'm not a solo act. I've got some of the best folks I could potentially, possibly ever ask for uh, as teammates 
as supporters, as bosses. Um, you know, that's one of the things about Jazzwares is like we've got a, a really great family of workers who love what we do and care about what we do, and we all support and encourage each other. Um, so I've got a lot of wind in my wings. Um, I've got a lot of caffeine in my system. And um, I've learned to live on like six hours of sleep a night, and it's not bad. It's okay. It's not, not terrible. The worst is when it's Saturday or Sunday and you still wake up at 6 a.m. and you can't sleep that extra hour or two because your brain will let you. So with that, it's time to head into our Q&A segment. This segment is brought to you by our friends at Chubsy Wubsy Toys. A traditional mom-and-pop toy store in Little Falls, New Jersey, Chubsy Wubsy Toys brings you the best new toys from the brands you love without the hassle of pounding the pavement, searching for them at larger retail stores. Visit them in person at 106 Main Street in Little Falls, New Jersey, or online at ChubsyWubsy.com. That's C-H-U-B-Z-Z-Y-W-U-B-Z-Z-Y.com. And tell them Adventures in Collecting sent you. So, uh, as you know, we, we posted on, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and uh, we collected some questions from the fan community uh, for you here. Um, I will give a shout-out before we... Um, before Dave hits you with the first question, you actually already answered the the original first question for our Q and A, um, which was from at Fig Vault. Uh, he wanted to know if there were any plans to expand the Luminaries line past just one figure, um, you know, every every other or so unmatched wave. But uh, you literally just answered that. It's almost as if you knew hey. the question was coming. How about that? Hey yo, look at that. Uh, um, so. Big Vault, thank you for the question, and uh, and you got your answer. So with that, uh, Dave is going to hit you with the the new first question of our Q and A. Yes, um, at prophetically speaking, at prophetically underscore speaking asks, um, do you have any idea as to when Unmatched Series Four will be going up for pre order, and are there any more fan ve- fan fest events planned for twenty twenty two? Gotcha. When it comes to I can always talk in general sense of like retail set dates, like when you can you know expect like a wave to maybe hit at Walmart or Target. When it comes to pre-orders, that's usually at the discretion of the, the retailer, right? So uh, if Jonathan in Ringside Collectibles wants to activate a pre-sale, he'll he'll typically know when to do that, and and will simply wag the dog on that kind of situation. Second part of the question was: um, Are there any more Fan Fest events planned for the year? Uh, we we would love to support a fan fest anytime that AEW wants to have one. So uh, stay tuned. You know, we've you've heard us allude to some potential future ones. Uh, AEW will always say when they're happening and if they're happening. But just know that we'll always be an active participant and would love to you know be a part of the fan fest experience any time of year. Next question comes from at Joey Beans Li. I don't think it's Beansley. It might be Beansley. I'm going to go with Beansley at Joey Beansley asks. I was thinking he's from Long Island, but Joey Beans, Long Island. Could be Joey. If you listen to the show, drop us a line. Tell us, tell us whether it's Beansley or Beans Li. Um, Is there anything you miss from your time working on the Power Rangers brand? And is there anything from that time that you bring to the table working at AEW? Oh, um, yes. And yes. Um, I loved the I talked earlier about like the the, the ability to commune and, and connect with um, uh, the Power Rangers fandom. 
so I definitely take that into, you know, my, my current role in life too. Uh, so many good lessons learned there. So many uh, relationships even. I still talk to a lot of Power Rangers folks. It's always a pleasure. Um, when it comes to... When it comes to actual product stuff, I try to think too, like it's almost like a job interview. Like what did I do on Power Rangers that wasn't just spreading joy and all that, but like, you know, what, what really moved the needle there? And again, I had a great team, so didn't do this solo, but we had an opportunity to take what was essentially what we called like the TV line, right? The, the toys that mimicked what you saw in the Nickelodeon series. Um, and that was like the bread and butter of the business, right? But how could we grow that? And I think working with my teammates to create the, the legacy series uh, across multiple formats, like again, props and replicas, uh, Zords and Megazords. Um, and of course, what eventually became the legacy series figures. That was wonderful because it, 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 for the company, it provided another great revenue stream of products that people really wanted and that hadn't had the opportunity to get before. Um, but it was done again with sincerity and meaning. Like it was stuff that we weren't out there for a wallet grab. We went out there strategically and thought, how do we get the stuff that means the most to fans that either they wanted again as a grown up or they never got as a kid at Christmas for whatever reason? And uh, we were all super proud of that one. That's one I that's a, that's a nice career highlight there. Um, friend of the pod at the man with the red mane asks exactly how many fights have you been in and how many of those have you won? That's a great question. Junior year, I would call that one a draw. Um, I think I won for Spirit and Moxie, but I don't think I actually, you know, won the fight. If you were going to actually, you know, have a ring judges there, um, and then I actually give. I'm actually proud of myself for getting out of fights rather than getting myself into them. Um, my sense of reason, my gift of gab, and my sometimes sense of humor have got me out of more scraps and into them. So. But thank you, the man with the red mane. So I have to dump this one back on, on Aaron here. Um, Who? And I, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, the man with the red mane is, is fellow uh, Jazzwares friend, uh, Aaron. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, Greg, who would win in fight, you or Aaron? He's like a tall tree, so I'd have to work the knees and the shins in a way that would prevent him from using his size advantage against me. Um, he is probably quicker because he does have at least, oh gosh, he's at least 15, if not many, if not more years younger than me. Um, so stamina, endurance, and speed may be his, but quick bursts of low-profile low ground-based attacks might actually get me at least the hell out of the situation, much less, you know, to assured victory. He looks spry, but he does look like he, he, would, he, would, uh, he would go down if you, if you get him, you know, in the knees. So I think that's a good strategy. Well, now that I've, now that I've broadcast a set strategy, I'm going to have to think of a secondary contingency plan because he now knows – he's basically scouted me now, so I have to come up with some <laughs> other things. Oh, all right. The next, the next question. Th thank you, Aaron, for for absolutely derailing the Q and A segment. I, I appreciate appreciate it. It, it, it. It's like it's like a meeting at the office. So thanks. <laughs> uh, the next question comes from at Fig Heel. Uh, so far, Owen is the only announced talent not on the AEW roster getting a figure. Are there plans to add additional non-roster talent for future figure opportunities? 
So I have to say, I think, and, and this question has kind of like people have been dancing around this question. Like when we posted, you were going to be on everybody, like the, the, the question that everybody wants to know is like, is the legend or the, is the legends line coming back? You know, with, with Jeremy behind this and the superstars line, the classic superstars the line, classic superstars. Yeah. Like right. I, I really think that everyone is just is like chomping at the bit to see, see if that's going to get revived in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Under, understandable. The, the, the fact that there's interest in uh, a, a groundswell for that speaks to the legacy of course, of those very, venerable shingles that jeremy helped create you know god help us 20 years ago was it um but uh but also that there's an appetite out there for wrestlers to be immortalized in plastic in some shape or form regardless of where they worked and you know who wrote the checks that night at the promotion um what, what i can say now is this where aew's you know master action figure partner our commitment and our focus right now is making uh, aew and aew affiliated figures right um so if there's a luminary who you know, walks onto the roster, but brings a pedigree and years worth of potential figures with them um, that are, you know, in no way, shape or form Stanford related, uh, you know, we're there for it. Um, but we're open ears to the fact that there is an interest in, you know, wrestling legends and our ability to faithfully make them and, and put them in your guys' hands. We'll, we'll always be open eared towards that. But right now our focus is naturally on fulfilling you know our great partnership with AEW and what, and what their priorities and uh what their roster needs are if you can make one pokemon a wrestler and one wrestler a pokemon who would they be and why oh my gosh i definitely feel like i needed to prepare for this one but maybe <laughs> maybe the, the impromptu answer will be more interesting as a result um I would think so. I, I like wrestling for in ring, you know, the pro wrestling aspect. I also like people who look great on TV and could cut a great promo. And I also like factions. So I would love to see Squirtle premiere in AEW, but also in pretty short order, uh, as long as the writing was there for it and the talent was there for it, to also then have, have him to bring uh, Squir- Squirtle Squad. I think <laughs> it would have the potential to rival only the inner circle as far as. Uh, faction supremacy in AEW's short existence. And, um, you know, as evidenced by my ink and my constant mentions of Squirtle, he's, he's indeed my favorite. Those sunglasses rule. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, 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 he's my man or my Squirtle. <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry, did you also boomerang that into like, and who from AEW should go into the world of Pokemon? Yeah, like who who would make which which AEW superstar would make a uh, a great Pokemon? Oh, you know, there's that business and licensing side of me that says now, sirs or madams, uh, the Pokemon world is the Pokemon world, and interlopers and outsiders uh, don't commingle with trainers or Pokemon in this world. But we're having fun on a podcast, so who? looks like they could be a Pokemon who acts like they could be a Pokemon in the AEW roster. Well, do you want me to give um, you my answer? So who, who I would pick? Uh, yes. Wardlow. Ooh, he would be a great Pokemon. The moment you said it, I could see, I could see not just like what he could look like, but even like his potential evolutions. That was good. Uh, right. I was going to go for, I was going to go for very low hanging fruit and say, the, the singular visual of just a bunch of cute, cuddly Pokemon all sleeping on a lying on his back, Snorlax. I would love to see Keith Lee laying down in the middle of a tranquil, a tranquil forest with a number of smaller Pokemon all just curled up and cuddled up on his big giant self. That's amazing. He he would be a great Pokemon too. That's a great answer. I 
I could I, I I could actually think of one that I would pick too. Go ahead. Love to hear it. Um you know, sometimes you you know that Pokemon can be very nice. Oh god. But they can also be very evil. <laughs> oh. Um so I think, you know, Danhausen would be able to put a curse on the Pokemon. That would that would that would be a good uh that would be a good offensive attack. Uh, Danhausen used uh, uh, very evil. It was very effective. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you have you been cursed by Danhausen yet? No. Uh, my interactions with him have been nothing but like charming and positive. I think he's excited to uh, potentially have an action figure. <laughs> so he's been nothing but a sweetheart and like very collaborative and cool and like you know hey and you know he tells me his real name. Uh, let's talk. Um, so no, I have not been cursed yet. Uh, that said, you know, once we're out there near the ring, and if it really, you know, makes sense, like I said, I've had many promos cut against me. Why? Why wouldn't he too? Hey, if you don't make a figure soon enough, he may he may curse you. That's like That's one right. of the things that I, I think. But that would like be that would be self defeating because he should want me to get the figure to completion with my team before <laughs> cursing me. If it doesn't turn out good, yes, he has every right to to curse because we deserve it. But we'll make a better one next time. That's how that's how we do. So so with that, Greg, you have you have survived the Q and A. Uh, thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Uh, we hope we hope you liked the answers. Um, thank you to thank you to everyone, but not Aaron. <laughs> but everyone, <laughs> but Aaron. Um, so with that, uh, Dave, would you like to fulfill your role as this podcast's James Lipton and ask Greg the final question? I sure would. Um, so the final question we ask all of our guests, what is your favorite and or strangest piece in your collection? It can be one of each or it can be both. Um, look at every bad guy figure we did for, uh, Power Rangers, Bandai, um, Dino Charge figures and Super or Dino Supercharge. Um, I always loved the, the costume department at Toei. Uh, and how they just basically just free range some of the most disturbing, weird, bizarre, bad guy, alien monster costumes for your typical quote unquote villain of the day or villain of the week in any given Sentai and hence Power Rangers episode. And it seems like the creative team that was there during the Kairuger seasons, which turned into Dino uh, Charge, definitely had uh, – free range to basically create whatever they want. And I don't know if that was just pure imagination, if there was absinthe and peyote involved, but there was an amazing (laughs) array of like, wait, they made a creature out of that. And I was so excited by how truly bizarre and stupid some of them looked. I mean, stupid affectionately that it was a pleasure to make action figures out of them. And we also hadn't done bad guy figures, I think in a couple years prior, you know, to my, me and my team's arrival. So it was a fun to get bad guys in there and B we went for this most awful wacky off the wall ones um so yeah search search uh dino dino charge villain figures and dino supercharge villain figures and there's some real winners in there yeah the one that comes to mind if i'm recalling correctly i think there wasn't there a guy that was like a walking maze yes (laughs) yes and there's like a guy that's like how do I describe this? I'm trying not to Google. I'm trying to just go off my memory. I don't remember names of anybody. But Trust me, whatever your memory is, it's not going to be any weirder or less accurate than what the actual crazy monsters actually were. Wasn't there one that was like a anthropomorphic pirate ship? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, there was, good, you have a good twisted memory. You could you you could probably go overseas and work for for Toei. There were some. There were some. I mean, there are some bizarre Power Rangers villains, but like, there you're right. They they were on a different sort of something for, uh, and, for and some it, of the ones from from that era. And my cynical mind was always like, oh, they must just be going back into like you know like the warehouse and just pulling random pieces from other existing monsters from from 25 seasons prior worth. But a no, that actually undercuts the amazing amount of weird creativity that every production team uh, in Japan had. And two. They're so heavily foam-based that most of those things don't actually survive more than like five or six years in storage before they start disintegrating. So it's almost like they are forced to reset their brains to go, how crazy can we get this year? And they're not just doing it for Sentai. They're also doing it for Kamen Rider. Now, granted, they're a little bit more aspirational, aged up, and maybe more mature, right? Because Sentai is considered maybe like, you know, quote unquote, the more preschool gateway show. And Kamen Rider is more for like, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old boys. Uh, so they're a little more aggressive looking. They're a little bit more um, evil looking. But they do that for 40 episodes uh-huh. like every year for two long running series. Like just the boundless creativity and insanity going on over there. I'm in awe of it. And I was glad to make it, some of it in plastic. <laughs> yeah, like eventually you get to the point where it's like, all right, we need a bad guy. You know what? Sports. Just yeah. Yes, yeah. he has a basketball backboard for the shape of a head, but don't worry, it doesn't stop there. We're also going to integrate every European, Japanese, and American sport, even if they aren't native sports to the country you're watching this show in. Yeah, it's uh, and it's funny because like I I really have not watched Power Rangers. My my indoctrination of Power Rangers kind of stopped after Ivan Ooze, but like I remember when those figures were coming out, just seeing them on shelves, honestly, and going like. Is wh- what? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> Yay! That was me and my team. <laughs> well, congratulations because uh, you sure jumped out on the pegs there. That's that was mm-hmm. that was for real a thing. Sports. The bad guy is sports. Wasn't it like yes. Game Face? I think his name was that one. I for some I, reason I remember the name. I think you're actually right. Yeah, because they would have some naturally Japanese name, but then when Saban would do the the localizations of them and turn them into Power Rangers, yeah, like they basically rescripted everyone's names, and they are typically like very on the nose, understandable to a child uh, type of name. So Game Face or Teacher, you know the the <laughs> the creature with a blackboard head and a little you know naturally graduate cap. I think on the left or right corner of said blackboard head, and uh, and I think he had a Gatling gun. That shot chalk. <laughs> yeah, so, that sounds about teacher. right. <laughs> Dave, I hope you're looking these up yeah. on your phone right now. I I <laughs> missed so much, and I'm just like, why did I miss this? Like, this is amazing. Even if it's just kind of just to be in the the sphere of what this is, like. And that's just yeah, the year I, I worked on it where I was able to bring villain figures back into the assortment. So it just wasn't, you know, the five or six Rangers in a case pack. There is literally 25 and now at this point, what, 28, 29 seasons worth of these. So if somebody out there is archiving this on a website and has like, because every villain had a production photo uh, from its episode. <laughs> and we would go through these catalogs, you know, that we would get because we would always get the series one to two years after they had aired. So we had a, a veritable resource and lookbook of villains. And we would just amuse ourselves going through them. I mean, I was going back to, to catalogs going back to like the 80s. And just the, again, insane amount of creativity that went into these things. And just like the, 
the, the, the open-brained approach to how do I make a really bad, bad guy that doesn't terrify people, but also definitely confuses them. <laughs> and makes you oh, a little... Game face rules. It makes you a little uncomfortable. Like, just ever he's so got, slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> he's, he's got a, uh, a fencing helmet on his thigh. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's like, where... Dude, where's the fencing helmet? Oh, I forgot it. We'll stick it on the thigh. Naturally. Uh, I, kaiju creation, man. And, and, we, and you know, this entire episode, we, so unfortunately we, we have to say goodbye for, the, the, for now. But we didn't even get into Akira. We didn't get into any of that stuff. Uh, we're going to have to have you back on and, and, and talk more about it. But before we let you go, Greg, uh, can you remind everyone where can they find out the latest from Jazzwares and, and find out the latest about the AEW figures on the internet? Sure. I mean, I think our most active handles would be on Instagram. So Jazzwares on Instagram, you'll get a little taste of everything we do. You know, you, you will not be surprised to find a Coco Melon post right next to a really beautiful and aggressive photo of, of uh, you know, Master Chief mid-battle. Uh, but, you know, it's what makes us such a cool, diverse company. And then if you want to follow, we're trying to get more constant and frequent news. So be patient with us. But uh, AEW by Jazzwares is the other Instagram handle that we're trying to, uh, to to populate with stuff that you're not going to see everywhere else. Um, but then again, as in partnership, naturally, you know, Ringside Collectibles does a wonderful job of covering us. Jeremy Padauer's personal Instagram and Twitter accounts are always uh, a gold mine of, of not just wisdom and uh, advice, but also, you know, hey, guys, you, you want to do a reveal? And naturally, you can then barrage him with like, yes, show us Wave 7, show us Wave 14. Um, those are always the fun ways to get us. And, you know, uh, it's all good. And where can we find you on, on Instagram? Uh, I... I I unwittingly gave over my Instagram account to my career probably about three, four years ago. So I'm just a, I'm just a little old Gregory underscore K underscore Mitchell. Well, Greg, thank you again so much for coming on the show and, and answering our questions and answering uh, and answering some of the fans questions. It's a pleasure. Thank you everyone for their interest and their support. And um, yeah, keep your eyes and ears open. There's a lot more coming down the pipe and definitely some reveals and announcements coming out that we're excited about. And uh it's always fun to get those in front of you. So thank you. Thank you, dear listener, for hanging out with us today. Subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. And then tell your friends to do it. Thanks also to Joe Azari, the golden voice behind our intro. Our music is Game Boy Horror by the Zombie Dandies. Find more about them both on our show notes. Follow us on social media at AIC underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Stop by and say hi. Show us your toy hauls and share your toy stories. Maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. Don't try this at home. Voidware prohibited and some assembly required. Each sold separately, not a flying toy. Consult a physician if your toy run exceeds more than four hours. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.